The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Come on back in. I know you're having a good time. Come on back in and we'll get started. This is the group that is really impressive. This is the group who remembered Daylight Savings Time and came this morning on time. We'll get to, in about 25 minutes, we'll get to welcome a new group. And be kind, because you know, you've done it. <laughs> be kind, because uh, we've all done it. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, my name is Rick. I am one of the elders here, and I have the privilege to bring God's word to you. And today we're going to continue in our series in Revelation. So if you have a Bible with you or your Bible app, please turn to Revelation 1.9. Now last week, we saw, we saw John's greeting to the churches, and it looked a lot like, well, it looked a lot like letters to the churches that we've seen before from John, from Peter, even from Paul. So when the greeting concludes, we kind of expect John to start speaking to the churches, but he doesn't. Instead, John starts to tell us a story. He tells us a story like he is an eyewitness testifying in court, and what he witnesses is a vision of heaven. So with that in mind, let's pray together, then we will invite Joe to come and read the passage for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the Spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Joe. Revelation 1, 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for this, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, 
The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lamps and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Grace to God for his word. What's making life hard for you? Are you suffering with chronic pain? Maybe your job is frustrating. You know, everything is so expensive now. I mean, are you worried about running out of money at the end of the month? Or do you stay awake at night worrying about your kids? Students, are you thinking about the tough road getting into college? Or are you just trying to pass the next midterm? Or maybe, maybe you just experience generalized anxiety that sometimes for no reason just overwhelms you. And in those times, are you tempted to give up, give up hope? Well, pressures and challenges of life are always upon us. So how do you endure that without losing hope in your future? Is there a truth or reality that is keeping that hard situation in proper perspective for you? And if so, what is it? The letter Revelation is written to a people who are in a really hard situation. Jesus wants to give them hope through a vision. This vision tells us that Jesus reigns over everything and in every time. He wants that hope to provide them with courage, to provide them with courage to endure. And maybe... Maybe that vision can provide you with hope and courage to endure whatever you're facing. The central message of this passage is that we can courageously endure because Jesus reigns. And that's the main point. So I want to say it again. Courageously endure because Jesus reigns. Let's walk through this passage in three steps and see that main point together. First... He wants, us to, he wants to acknowledge to us that life can be hard and that there is a need for endurance. Let's look at the need for endurance. Go to first nine. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay. So we're in the book of Revelation, and I said the word tribulation. Does that trigger anybody here? For, for most of my life, I heard that word, and it triggered a cascade of specific ideas about the future, about how the world would end. But let's look at how it's used here. Can we agree for just this instance? John is using this word in the present tense. There's nothing about the future here. He's simply saying, I share in your trouble. Now, the word is used four more times in this book. So we're going to come back to it. 
We're going to come back and address the word tribulation in a different context. And fortunately for me, Dan and Tab are preaching on those days. You can always change the schedule. <laughs> but for today, John is saying there's a need for endurance because of the tribulation, because of the big trouble that they are experiencing. What kind of trouble are we talking about here? Well, these cities were quite religious, and they worshipped many gods. They had gods for fertility, agriculture, music, poetry, hunting, and just about every part of life where a person might appeal for favor through a superstition. But the gods they took most seriously were the gods of their work and the gods of their business. Carpenters, for example, they had their own god. There were rituals and feasts related to the union of carpenters who gathered to appease their god. Carpenters sacrificed to their god to ensure their success. And any carpenter who didn't join, well, it might anger that god. So Christian carpenters faced enormous pressure to participate in the superstitious worship or lose their friends and their business. See, John, John wasn't imprisoned on Patmos because he told people to worship Jesus. That's not the case. Adding a God was never a problem. John was imprisoned because he told people that eternal life comes only through Jesus and that worshiping false gods was wrong. That teaching, that teaching angered the trade unions and they ratted John out to the Roman government, told them that John was a traitor to Rome because he would not worship the emperor. Now, nobody in Ephesus really cared about emperor worship. But this was an easy way to get rid of a troublemaker like John. So why did John do it? He tells us why. He did it, what he says here, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Listen to what John writes in another letter, a letter to probably the same people, about the testimony of Jesus. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Listen to this. John says, this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I hope you're hearing that. Eternal life is found only in Jesus. Eternal life comes only through trust in his death and his resurrection. The truth and the eternal consequences of that truth are far more important than the approval of the trade unions. 
This is the testimony that has John and the church in so much trouble. You know, a friend of mine tells me a story. He joined a new company. First job out of college. He joined a large, well-known company that had partnered, this company had partnered with a national charity to help the company's public image. And the company encouraged every employee to, con to contribute part of their salary to this charity. Well, my Christian friend, he could not in good conscience participate because this well-known charity encouraged, funded, performed abortions for women who came to their clinics. And when he turned in the form with a zero, his manager came to plead with him. He said, don't you know that my boss gets a bonus when everyone participates? Hey, new guy, you're gonna be the only one. If you don't do this, your career is dead here. The manager said, come on, just put down a dollar in the box. Just put a dollar. Then we can officially list you as a participant in the charity. And my friend was tempted, thinking, it's just a dollar. And then he thought about his name appearing on an official list supporting this organization. And he politely declined. By the way, he didn't get fired. And his career went just fine. But that was a difficult decision that people around him just didn't understand. It's a true story. Have you ever faced a situation on your job where you were asked to compromise? Young people, have you ever been pressured to participate in something that you knew was wrong? There's a cost for saying no, and people don't understand. You risk becoming excluded. Now, if this is you, then you're like John. You may not be in prison, but you share as a brother and partner in tribulation. Now, you know, maybe this stress isn't coming from opposition, but just from normal life. We're all enduring something. We're all enduring something with jobs, tests, term papers, bills, kids, health issues, and so much more. Normal life can be hard. And because of that, we might lose hope. The vision that John is about to share with us shows us why we can endure all that with courage. The vision tells us something important. It tells us Jesus reigns now. And that's his second main point. So let me say that again. Jesus reigns now. That's what he wants to communicate to us. So let's see this vision, starting in verse 10.
I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in this book and send it to the seven churches. And then he goes on to list the seven churches in order of the, from the, the coast, from the tr- on the trail that leads from the coast to the furthest city inland. Now, I, I don't know exactly what this means to be in the Spirit. But John seems to be saying that he was conscious of being surrounded by the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in the same way that Old Testament prophets were. In this state of prophetic vision, John hears a voice like a trumpet. The sound itself was enough to startle John, but what he sees next is so amazing and so overwhelming that John tells us in verse 17, he fell at his feet as though dead. The awesome power, purity, and glory of this vision overwhelmed John so that he could no longer stand. Verse 12. This is what he saw. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I don't know about you. If I saw that, I'd fall down too. It's amazing. This powerful figure in this vision, it walks among seven golden lampstands. And just so we're not left in doubt, in verse 20, he tells us that the lampstands are the churches. And the point of saying this is that Jesus is close to his churches. He walks among them. He holds seven stars in his right hand. And again, verse 20 tells us that the seven stars are angels, or otherwise probably better translated in this case, messengers of those churches. No one can be sure, and many commentators view this, many commentators view this as human messengers of those churches. The human messengers in these churches are their pastors. And they may get special care because, quite frankly, they need it. The purpose of this letter is to comfort and give hope to his church. This much we can say for sure, Jesus holds the local churches 
and his powerful hands. He's in control of these churches. And that includes our church too. Just like the stars and the lampstands, the rest of this picture provides symbols that are intended to convey meaning. What, see, what John sees is not exactly actually what Jesus looks like, but the symbols reveal what he is like. The roaring voice recalls Ezekiel and alludes to divine authority when Jesus speaks. The sword from his mouth recalls Isaiah 49 and tells us that Christ's words will judge the nations, will judge the nations in false teaching in his church. The robe and sash, they remind us that Jesus is our high priest, helping us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Exodus 28, Hebrews 4. His face shining like the sun expresses his awesome radiance that will one day illuminate the new creation. Isaiah 60 and Revelation 21. But the main focus here probably is Daniel 7. Daniel had a dream 650 years before John. In this dream, there were two divine, powerful figures, one called the Son of Man, the same title that we see in verse 13, and another called the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days, he wears white and has hair like wool, and fire comes out of him. So Daniel and John are seeing something that's very, very similar. And this description gives us a connection. But it's what these two figures do in Daniel's dream that is more important for us. Daniel tells us of four terrifying beasts which serve as symbols for four empires that would arrive to rule the world. Daniel says the fourth beast was exceedingly terrifying and that it devoured the world. That dreadful beast made war on the saints until the Ancient of Days came. The Ancient of Days killed the beast and burned it in the fire. Now, with the benefit of history, we see now that the fourth beast probably represents the Roman Empire. Roman Empire. God told us 650 years prior to John that this empire would devour the world and make war on his people. This is the very empire that was persecuting the churches that he was speaking to in Revelation. So what's the point? What's the point that Jesus is making by referring to Daniel 7? He's telling them God is fully in control. Although the Roman Empire looks terrifying and permanent, 
God's going to judge them. The ancient of days will come. And this empire will fall. The son of man, Daniel 7, receives a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will never fade. And this is the kingdom that John is seeing now. The son of man is Jesus who reigns over his kingdom. And the vision shows the persecuted church that everything they are experiencing was fully known centuries before. There are no surprises here. And that it will not remain forever. And that Jesus is fully in control. Jesus reigns now. And now, Jesus wants to address the future. He wants this church in Revelation and us to have courage for the future because he has conquered the things that we fear most. And this is his third point. His third point is Jesus reigns over your future. Let me say that again. Jesus reigns over your future. Now, when last we saw John, he was face down as though dead. So let's pick up the story in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I died. Amazing from this incredible being that John is seeing now, and he knows because he saw it. I died. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death in Hades. That, my friends, that's the gospel summarized in one sentence. Jesus willingly gave up his life as a perfect sacrifice for your sin. He rose from the dead so that he could reign forever. In his reign, he says, I have the keys of death in Hades. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus now has the power to send people to death and to Hades or to deliver them from it. In the most ultimate issues, the most ultimate issues of life, death, and eternity, your ultimate future is secure because Jesus reigns over your future. But what does that mean for those who have not trusted in Jesus? What is he saying about your future? 
Remember that John already told us, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If you do not have the Son, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, then I urge you to do that today because future without Jesus is something to fear. Now, if you're visiting today and you want to understand more about this, there will be several people up front who would love to talk with you. Please, please come and take advantage of that today. Talk with them. And kids, students, I want to talk to you. Some of you have been with us for a long time, and you have yet to decide upon Christ. I want to urge you to consider this today. It's imperative that you turn to Christ even now. Trust savingly in Jesus. He promises not to turn away any who sincerely come to him. So I urge you to come to Christ, even right now. Surrender in him and hope in him. And the fact that Jesus reigns over our future is a wonderful truth that we can rely upon. But I think I would be failing you if we didn't return to the reason that Jesus wanted to provide us with this vision. Life is hard and people suffer. We may not be in prison for our faith or in poverty, but there's a lot that feels uncertain about the future, isn't there? And just to be very honest, a lot of us have anxiety. And the British Journal of Psychiatry tells us that diagnosed general anxiety among adults increased by 37% between 2014 and 2018. 37%! That's a huge increase in four years. And that number, they reported that number increased again by 25% during the pandemic. If the statistics are right, I'm talking with about 30 people right here. There are 30 people here who have or will experience a significant event of anxiety or depression in their life. I'm one of you. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm one of you. And, and my family has patiently endured times when anxiety or depression has overcome me. And why do I tell you this? I, I share this with you because I want you to know that you're not alone. Your church understands. Your church understands and we're here to help. If you'll allow us to walk through that, if you'll allow us to walk through that with you, 
The epidemic of anxiety is particularly troubling among our young people right now. The American Medical Association tells us that anxiety among children and college students has increased so much that the typical school, school, school children today, they now report anxiety that is more than child psychiatric patients did in the 1950s. And researchers give us hundreds of reasons why that's happening. Social media, iPhones, divisive culture, helicopter parenting, bad schools, instant news, and, and so much more. And they might be right for parts of it. But could it be? Could it be that in our age of instant information and constant connectivity, we have brought our hearts into a state of overwhelmed busyness where there is no opportunity to be fully present, no time to reflect on the ultimate things of life that John is showing us today. Now, now please don't hear me say that meditation on this vision will cure clinical anxiety or depression. Please don't hear me say that. But it can certainly help. And the message that Jesus has for us gives us truth to combat the lies that we tell ourselves. When we tell ourselves that the circumstances of our life will never change, that there is no hope, Jesus says, that's not true. I'm coming back and everything will change. There will be justice. There will be no more crying and no more pain. When we tell ourselves that no one loves us, Jesus puts his right hand on our shoulder and says, you are greatly loved. I died. Want to see the scars? See, we have hope because Jesus reigns. And this hope gives us a foundation for courage. And God knows we need courage because life is hard and the future can feel scary. When our fears overtake us because everything seems out of control, Jesus says, fear not. I know things look like they're out of control, but I am fully in control. Jesus reigns. I tell you a, a, a personal story that, 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 that might help to illustrate this. Um, some of you know my son, Daniel. I'm going to try to get through this without getting emotional. So just, but these memories are, are really important to me. Um, he was diagnosed early in life as developmentally disabled. He was held back in the first grade. Didn't get through the second grade. 
for we were, we were advised to take him out of school and put him in a special needs class. We took him to a neurologist who told us the news that my son would never drive, never hold a job, and never live independently. The news was devastating for us. And I sought counsel with a trusted friend. And there is one thing he told me that gave me hope. He said to me, I only know one thing. Jesus made your son. And Jesus loves him more than you do. Today, Daniel's 34. He's doing well. Holds a full-time job. He drives every day. And each day, we take one more small step, step towards living independently. He loves Jesus. And if you first meet him, you might not even notice his challenges. He is truly a miracle of God. 25 years ago, I lost hope. I had lost hope. And my friend, my friend told me a fundamental truth about my son and about my God, and nothing, nothing could have helped more than that. And that truth carried me for 25 years. See, we can, we can courageously endure because Jesus reigns. We can courageously endure because Jesus reigns. So what's getting you down? What's making you anxious? Health concern? Paying the bills? School? Your job? Your kids? I want you to consider bringing that situation to your next home group meeting. Share with those folks where you're struggling, where you're fearful, where you're anxious. Ask them to help you see that Jesus reigns in your situation. Ask them for prayer. That your circumstance would be framed by this vision of Jesus. You may be surprised by the encouragement that you receive. Friends, this is why we have home groups, to walk together in fellowship on the pathway to discipleship. Encouragement is also the reason that we're teaching through this wonderful and strange book called Revelation. The point of this book is to frame your life and your future with one particular vision and message. The frame is this vision of Christ, and the message, Jesus reigns. Put the pictures of anxieties and challenges into this frame to gain courage and hope because Jesus reigns. Jesus is preparing to reveal the future in this book. The future will be revealed in a series of pictures. But without context, 
Well, these pictures of the future might be scary or confusing. When we see these pictures of the future, some frightening, some disorienting, we're supposed to set these pictures in the frame, lift our head, and read the message. Jesus reigns. Every vision, every symbol, every glimpse into the glory of God, we want you to look up and find hope. From that hope, he wants you to draw courage to endure the difficulties and challenges of life because Jesus reigns. Let's pray. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper. And as we begin to pray, I'd like to invite the band to come back on stage and the servers to please come prepared to service the elements. Gracious Father, we thank you for this vision, a vision of your kingdom where you reign. Daniel 10 tells us that the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. We worship you for your power. We acknowledge your reign over everywhere and in every time. May we find hope in the knowledge that our future is secure and that you have already triumphed. May this hope provide us with a foundation for courage to endure the challenges of life as well. And may our endurance provide a witness to those around us that you are our hope. We are grateful for your love to us, expressed most tangibly by your death on the cross. As we take these elements, we thank you for this glorious picture of so great a love that Jesus, our Savior, loved his people and gave himself up for his people to position us before you holy and without blemish. Help us now to give thanks, believing this good news as we take the bread and the cup together. It is in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.